This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Hi, Welcome to Don't Let This Flop, a podcast about internet culture brought to you by Rolling Stone. Where two smart people talk about the dumbest shit that happened online this week. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm EJ Dixon. Brittany, I read the book this week. The book? Yep, the book. The only the only book that came out in the past week, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, probably the only book that came out this year. Yeah, it's the biggest book of the year. We're obviously talking about I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy. Famously. <laughs> it's not funny. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's kind of funny. It's a funny title. It's an objectively funny title. It is a funny title. And I actually was just talking with a couple of my friends who were just like so confused why this was like the book that everyone's been talking about. They were just like this random, I mean, to them, this random actress from a show that they haven't thought about in a decade. And they were just very confused as to why this book was all over TikTok and all over Twitter. So... I had to explain to them the cliff notes, but you actually read the book, so you can explain it more. Yeah, I can explain the context why people are talking about this. I think a huge part of the reason why people are talking about this is because of the title, because it's an objectively fucking insane title. The title definitely got a lot of buzz. But there are also two other reasons why people are talking about it. So just for context, Jeanette McCurdy is she was a big Nickelodeon star in like the early 2010s. I would say she was the co-star of iCarly and also Sam and Cat, which had one season on Nickelodeon and, and iCarly co-starred Miranda Cosgrove. Sam and Cat kicked off Ariana Grande's career. Brittany, I did not. I was too old for both of these shows. But you, I did you watch them? The group chat I were also discussing because we were debating if we were also too old for it, where this, the chat was split. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those shows were objectively really popular. I feel like they sort of overlapped, but were technically a few years in terms of popularity, like after sort of that peak Disney era. And so it's kind of like Nickelodeon's almost response to the ability to be able to make stars or have these like personality driven type shows the same way that Disney had, which like I'm talking about like the Hannah Montana, Wizards of Waverly Place, like Jonas Brothers, like Demi Lovato, like era of Disney. So people were interested in this book because they wanted to know if she would spill the tea on two things. One, Ariana Grande, because Jeanette was rumored at the time that the show was canceled, was rumored to be the reason why it was canceled, because Ariana's career started taking off around the time the show aired and Ariana was reportedly getting paid more than Jeanette. So that was the rumor at the time. Jeanette says that's not true, but people wanted to know, like, oh, what's she going to say about Ariana Grande? And two, the creator of the show, Dan Schneider, he's the creator of All That, Zoe 101, iCarly, Sam and Cat. Jeanette refers to him ambiguously as the creator in the book. He was like basically Nickelodeon royalty. He had been dogged 
by a lot of rumors over the years about inappropriate behavior towards his young stars. And he was even fired by Nickelodeon a few years ago because of allegations of onset verbal abuse. But the the stuff that has been floating around, it's been floating around for like well over a decade. And it's a lot worse than the stuff that he actually got fired for. The big, I mean, the big thing was that there was an idea that Nickelodeon and him had an obsession with feet was a big part of it. And, but like he, there was like a lot of like weird, like feet pics on his Instagram, like not like super creepy fetish pics, but like he had like the stars, like write funny things on their feet and like he would post them or whatever. Like there was like the Nickelodeon Twitter account would like constantly ask for write the show's name on your feet and like post it. Like, so people became suspicious because there was a lot of feet humor and a lot of like young kids posting their feet online. <laughs> feet humor. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the shows had like, they loved a foot joke. They loved feet. They loved like doing like weird feet jokes. And that was a big part of like a lot of the Nickelodeon shows from that time and earlier. So that was kind of, that sparked a lot of the rumors and allegations against him because it was a little bit like, that's a bit much. I mean, to be fair, like, I think that some of that was a consequence of like it being a show targeted at like seven to eight year olds and seven to eight year olds thinking feet are funny and also there being like you can't really like make topical jokes about like balloon boy or like the bush administration like if you're making that kind of show like you're kind of limited in what kind of humor you can create so i think that was largely a result of it but it was very weird it's hyper specific like there's like i mean they made fart jokes and like gross out jokes and all of that like there's a ton of stuff but like the feet stuff was like highly specific and was something that like made sort of and those rumors have sort of come roaring back post me too and also post Stan Schneider's firing as like a lot of this discourse has started up again so people were very curious what Jeanette was going to say about Ariana people were very curious about what Jeanette was going to say about Dan Schneider also there was someone else from Nickelodeon who left because of sexual assault allegations who was like really high up too this is another reason why that people kind of like were wondering how much there was stuff going on behind the scenes there's like someone else high up at Nickelodeon who left or was fired because of like sexual harassment in the workplace and a lot of other allegations against them it was some show called the loud house was fired I vaguely remember that yeah so that was someone who like this happened a few years ago so yeah I mean the truth is like she does discuss both of these things she does discuss Ariana she does discuss Dan we'll talk about Ariana first she clearly hated Ariana Grande for a good reason it seems like from the book. It makes a lot of sense why she hated her. Apparently, like, Ariana made no effort to conceal, like, her burgeoning musical success. She made the cast and crew work around it while Jeanette had to sacrifice a bunch of film roles. And it's very strongly implied at one point in the book that Ariana threatened to quit the show if Jeanette was allowed to direct an episode, which she really wanted to do. And the producers were like, there's somebody who in the cast who threatened to quit if you did that and we just can't afford to lose them. She doesn't name who it is, but it's very strongly implied it's Ariana. And there's also an anecdote where she skips in one day on set, like bragging about playing charades at Tom Hanks's house. And that makes Jeanette really furious. I think this is all totally understandable. They were very young. They were like in their late teens. It seems like there was some natural rivalry between them and it doesn't seem like Ariana was particularly sensitive to that at all. And she also has some tea to spill about Dan. I wouldn't say it's a lot. I think she's kind of holding back, to be honest. She does confirm he was verbally abusive on set. 
She also alleges that he insisted she wear a bikini instead of a one piece, even though she was uncomfortable doing so. She grew up in the LDS church. So a lot of the book is about her sort of struggling with that and her sexuality and her body image and that he gave her alcohol in her dressing room and an unwanted massage when she was 18. So she kind of leaves it at that. And it's kind of hard to discern like whether and I suspect there is more there and it's kind of hard to tell. There's also she had spoken about she was offered a a lot of money to sign an NDA when she left Nickelodeon that she turned down. They offered her a lot of money to do that. And she she decided to not take it. Right. That's kind of the big bombshell that people have been covering with respect to this book. But ultimately, like the book isn't really about either Ariana or Dan or any of her other celebrity misadventures, although she does allege that Haley Duff sang Hillary Duff's vocals, which I think you already knew, Brittany. Like the rumors were someone else. It wasn't Haley. There was rumors that it was like a different ghost singer. I don't, it was like an unnamed sort of like backup singer. She specifically names Haley, which I remember hearing around the time of Raise Your Voice. But that's kind of like the one big, that's the thing that I took notes about in like all caps in my, in my Google Doc that I made <laughs> about this book. But it's primarily a memoir about trauma. It's about the relationship we had with her mom, Debbie, who is sort of like a classic stage mom. Like she had an acting career that was thwarted. She channeled all of her ambitions into Jeanette when Jeanette was very young. She was allegedly incredibly unstable and verbally abusive, clearly had a slew of undiagnosed mental illnesses. And she would like, drag Jeanette to auditions and encourage her to share stories of her cancer, like in order to get cast because she had stage four cancer and then recovered from it. And then it recurred and she ultimately died. But it became like a huge part of their life that this woman was like a cancer survivor. And but there are also like incredibly serious and disturbing allegations in the book that she sexually abused Jeanette by making her do body checks until she was about 17. She would like check her breasts and vagina allegedly for lumps like in the shower because she was so paranoid about her having cancer. And it's really dark and that she basically forced her to have an eating disorder when she was a teenager, which Jeanette like struggled with for the rest of her life. A big part of the book is about her eating disorder. But it's a really, really dark book. And in reading it, like I kind of felt I kind of felt like it did the book a disservice to like characterize it as like a dishy celebrity memoir rather than what it is, which is like it's a, it's an abuse. It's a memoir about abuse. It's a memoir about trauma. It's like it's like Mommy Dearest. It reminded me a lot of Mommy Dearest, which I don't know if you ever read or saw the movie. I saw the movie. Yeah. It's kind of like our generation's version of Mommy Dearest, I would say. I think the most valuable thing about it is that it makes some very good points about some issues that we've discussed on here about like children becoming influencers or performers in an industry that is basically like entirely unregulated where they could easily be exploited by their parents. Like Jeanette had basically nowhere to go. There's also a, you're not my real, not, spoiler alert, there's also a paternity subplot. Ooh, for her dad? For her dad, yeah. She grew up thinking that what was her stepdad was actually her biological father because her mom wow. had an affair with a jazz trombonist. Damn. And did not tell not to spoil or anything. I mean, she's definitely one of the first child stars from that era to really write about her experience. I don't think anyone else from that from that era of being a child star has expressed any of this. And there's been a lot of rumors about all of it for a really long time. So about like just like how terrible behind the scenes it was for a lot of these people. So so I'm glad that she got her story out there. And talked about it. I want the Amanda Bynes memoir, except I don't think I really want the Amanda Bynes memoir. I think it'll be worse than this on, like, darker than this. Yeah, I mean, I want Amanda Bynes to be well. I mean, I think that's another reason why people have had a lot of questions about what's going on behind the scenes at Nickelodeon and well beyond 
Dan Schneider or any of the most notable people. Like, it's just very clear that there was a lot of trauma that people experienced from that time. And with Amanda, we don't really know. And we probably won't get a story for a very long time from her. But I hope she's well. Let's talk about Addison Ray's parents. (laughs) Straight people. So it's time for Straight People, a segment about heterosexual nonsense. And I mean, it's a I, I feel like it's a both sides of the the fucked up parent coins today. So we are going to talk about Addison Ray's family and everything that's going on. I mean, I've been getting served a ton of videos on Addison Ray and her parents. I don't know about you, but I never get Addison Ray videos on my TikTok for you page, but I very suddenly getting a bunch of recap videos on all the drama behind her parents. Yeah, me too, because they know I'm not yeah. dumb. If I were dumb, they would give me Addison <laughs> Ray videos, but they know I'm not dumb, but I love mess. And I imagine <laughs> it's the same for you. And by yeah. they, I mean TikTok. <laughs> I love a messy video. So yeah. last month, you may have seen the first big blow up, which was that Addison's dad, Monty, was accused of, quote unquote, misleading a 25-year-old into an affair. So his mistress, Renee Ash, was led to believe that Monty was actively separated and in the process of divorcing Addison's mom, his wife, Sherry, which was untrue. And at least that was until the page six story came out. And of course, now Sherry and Monty have at least separated. It's kind of unclear what the legal parameters of the relationship is now. And then Monty is just like deadbeat dad vibes, just real kind of like MMA fan, thinks he could have had a career as a pro wrestler type of vibes to him, just real deadbeat energy to him. Really thinks he's like, he hangs out with like a, a bunch of younger people. He like, Goes to all like the influencer parties, which we'll get to in a second. He's just like a weird, just weird vibes, weird energy to him. Like the guy who's like at a college party and you're like, what are you doing here, man? You're like 50 years old. He looks like somebody pumped up a bunch of steroids into a raisin. Yes. So in the week since this page six story came out, Monty was further exposed as having been DMing a lot of younger women. And this was inexplicably revealed by Tana Mongo, Manjo. I've never known how to pronounce her last name. And I've never really. We, it doesn't matter. I've never really <laughs> researched it. <laughs> it's like one of those things where I just I feel like I've never needed to know her last name. Nobody does. So by Tana, who if you aren't familiar with her, she's kind of just been floating around the YouTube and Vine and TikTok space as sort of this like kind of peak sort of celeb influencer. She's just always in the midst of a lot of drama for no reason. I've honestly grown pretty fond of her on TikTok. I find her to be kind of charming on the app. But Tana inserted herself into the drama and alleged that she had seen Monty party hard and cheat often and was thriving on his daughter's celebrity clout. She even posted Instagram DMs other women had sent her to verify the story she had heard. And she basically just kind of exposed a lot of what Monty had been doing for years without his family knowing. I mean, I guess like I don't know too much about Monty and Sherry pre a lot of this drama, but based on a lot of what she said, people had their suspicions that he wasn't the best guy because he was very much thriving off of his daughter's TikTok cloud constantly. Like people were pretty aware that he was one of those kind of stage parents where he was using that to party and to have fun and his daughter would work and he would do all this other stuff. So Addison and her mom, Sherry, ended up unfollowing Monty, which is, I mean, might as well be a legal divorce. And they started to distance themselves from him as he kept embarrassing himself on TikTok and elsewhere. I mean, just really, truly some of the most embarrassing TikToks I have ever seen in my entire life. And well, I mean, we'll get to like actually the most embarrassing one in a second. But Sherry, went so far as to make her bio single mom on all our social media pages. Again, this might as well be a legal divorce at this point. No one called any lawyers. This is the document. That's like, I feel like for this family, that's like full legal 
bearing. So, <laughs> but over the last month, Sherry's gained a lot of goodwill and sympathy because of the Monty blow up. She's gotten a lot of new followers. She started to post like some kind of fun content about her being a single mom and she's having fun with it and she's embracing and kind of engaging with it. So this is time where Young Gravy enters the chat. So I have been dying to talk about this guy. I've been begging EJ for us to talk about Young Gravy for weeks now because he's been all over my For You page. I have complicated feelings about him because I can't really tell if I enjoy him, if I hate him. But his song, Betty Get Money, which samples Rick Astley's Never Gonna Give You Up, is all over and is completely blowing up on the app right now. Hey, what's your baby mama at the crib and blow her back out? Shorty Filipino and she call me Manny Pacquiao. Allie Hoop without the hoop, they call me Jerry Stackhouse. Days and hours. And if you haven't seen Young Gravy, he's an exceptionally tall white rapper who I'm sure in another life I probably would have had a very cursed date with. And his whole thing is that he loves MILFs. Like that's his entire branding is that he loves moms. He wants to have sex with all of your moms. And his fans love that he loves MILFs. He encourages them to like post videos of their moms. Moms on the app always post like thirst traps for him. And all of his fans are like teenagers who are like using the Betty Get Money song and posting videos of their moms like begging Young Gravy to have sex with them, which is just like a, a Freudian nightmare. Like, couldn't, could not be me. I love that his brand is all about MILFs as one myself. Yeah. It's become bigger and bigger. And he's, of course, really, really big on TikTok now because of it. And it made sense when Sherry eventually duetted a video Gravy made. Her new brand is being a MILF. Young Gravy loves MILFs. It's a match made in heaven. <laughs> So, of course, basically what happened the first video between them is he had posted a video saying that he was back in America and ready to, quote unquote, butter the biscuits. And then Sherry stitched the video and it's like her kind of dramatically going to the grocery store to buy a bunch of Pillsbury biscuits and then like shoving a tray of biscuits at the camera. I'm back in America. I'm looking to make some whoopee. You feel me? Trying to butter the biscuit. But things escalated because Gravy went on a podcast and said he was actively pursuing a romance with Sherry. He said that he would like to date Sherry, that he is trying to go on a date with her, that they are going to date at some point. So this is when Monty, who seems undyingly thirsty to be the most hated man online, decided to get involved. He started a completely one-sided beef with Gravy, repeatedly requesting him to box. Like, he just decided that that was how they're going to resolve this and acting like he still has a chance at winning back his wife. He posted what has been deemed one of the most cringe TikToks of all time, a true feat in cringiness on this app. I mean, most videos on TikTok are cringe, but this one just takes the cake. And in the video, he's flexing his muscles increasingly more pathetically over the sound. Gravy finally responded in what I think is a very deeply measured and mature way, kind of refocusing everything on the fact that this is embarrassing for his daughter. <clears throat> I'm a grown man. I'm not going to fight you over TikTok drama. You got one of the most successful daughters in the world, and you decide to act half her age to try to get some attention while embarrassing your whole family. So grow up, get some help. And if we cross paths in real life, don't do anything stupid. And Monty, of course, came back still being immature and alleging that the teenage sons he shares with Sherry will be bullied now because of Gravy wanting to bone their mom. I imagine that the reason they could be bullied will be for how their asshat of a dad is acting online. That's just my opinion. I feel like that just like would be more of the reason than young Gravy. I mean, kids are ba are basically begging young Gravy to have sex with their mom. So I feel like 
it would probably be an honor to them. Is that the new like Gen Z badge of honor? It looks like, like it. It's I mean, the videos are weird. We've talked about how like, I don't know, like the weird like hoardiness of videos of like keep people posting how hot their parents are were like, it's just like a weird vibe. So at some point in the last couple of weeks, Addison also unfollowed her mom. So that's just the escalation of Addison with her parents. Sherry would later add not your doormat to her bios. I feel for Addison, who is having a lot of family, really embarrassing family dirty laundry aired out in public like this. Like, it just seems like super messy. I mean, there's nothing worse than having to bear the brunt of your parents acting stupid online. And luckily, she's kind of having a bit of a moment otherwise. Like, similar to Charlie, how we had talked about her last week, where it seems like there's a a kind of turn in terms of the public conversation around her. She's kind of become a bit of a gay icon. I, have you heard all the music that's been leaked on, on TikTok? No. Okay. So she has a bunch of songs that I know she had an album that was essentially canned and most of the album was co-written by Charlie XCX, which is just like, I mean, a major coup for sort of becoming a pop star who's doing something a little bit left of center. She has all these like Charlie XCX pen songs that were leaked and everyone loves them. Like they're all over TikTok right now, at least my For You page. Like it's just these songs are, people are obsessed with them and hoping that she actually releases them. So I don't know, I feel like it'd be a great time for her to relaunch her music career, have this like Paris Hilton-esque impact on pop music just for the moment, release like one album, be done. And hopefully it'll distract people from her parents' nonsense for a little bit. She also had that mini scandal where she did that Adidas spawn con where she put up a bikini that said father. What did it say? I think it said like father, son, holy goat. Yeah, it said father, son. And it was like, you know, because you famously went to Catholic school. Famously went to Catholic school. People were so dramatic about that. They were like, why is she disrespecting my religion? Like, first off, everyone does that. Like, there's like no, this is not the first time someone's worn like a vaguely religious bikini online. I feel like that also garnered a lot of support where people were just like, that's kind of like an iconic move and people are being overdramatic because people were kind of being overdramatic, I gotta say. Yeah, for sure. For sure people were being overdramatic. And I mean, like, I think it actually did a lot to help her brand because there had been rumors that Addison was a Trump supporter because she had like behaved in a friendly fashion to Trump at like one of the Paul brothers boxing matches. And there are like old videos where people said they may kind of sort of could see like a MAGA banner in the background. And so she had been sort of, I, I think people thought of her as like this very anodyne, like Southern Christian girl. And I think the bikini fracas actually did a lot to sort of like burnish her bona fides as like an actual pop artist. And because you can't really be like a successful pop artist without doing something like that, causing controversy in some way. I mean, the thing is that she's not doing a lot of other stuff right now. It seems like she's kind of put a pause. Like, I mean, I know she has that Netflix deal, but I don't know what the next movie in that is. Again, the album was allegedly canned. She hasn't released any music since Obsessed. And so all these songs leaking has sort of like revived a lot of interest in her restarting her pop career in spite of all the drama with her parents kind of taking it over. But again, like, I feel like she's gained a lot of sympathy from people. Like, it's like super embarrassing. Like, no part of this is not embarrassing in the way that both her parents are. Well, I think Monty is way worse. I don't know what happened between her and her mom, but like, I don't find the Young Gravy stuff that embarrassing in terms of like moms on TikTok. I mean, 
can I could see why it's embarrassing, but like it's not nearly as embarrassing as the stuff her dad's doing. It's more funny than embarrassing. That said, I don't know if I would necessarily feel great about my MILF mom publicly flirting with like a 20 something yeah, yeah. white boy rapper on TikTok. <laughs> I honestly, okay, my theory is he doesn't like MILFs as much as he says he does. <laughs> is he doing it for attention? I think he's doing it for clout. Like, I think he's doing it for clout. Like, I think he's like doing it because it's like he thinks it's like funny and it's like, I don't know, just like talk the talk, walk the walk, like fuck a MILF. Date Sherry publicly. It probably was the result of like one conversation we had with his friends where he was like, dude, I, like, I love MILFs so much. MILFs are so hot. And they were like, oh man, like he's super into MILFs, this guy. Like, look at this guy here. But until he starts dating the skeleton woman from TikTok who's in all of those videos with like the 20 year old man, you know the one I'm talking about? The one who like got arrested? Yeah. Like until he starts doing that, then I don't believe him, I think. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm just like not as like well-versed or educated in like the young gravy lore, but it comes off a little like virtue signaling almost. Like what's the milk signaling? <laughs> <laughs> not virtue signaling, but like you know, he's like pretending because he thinks and it's like, I don't know, like date a MILF publicly. Yeah. Don't just ask for people's hot mom photos. <laughs> like date a MILF. Let's see you do that. Put your money where your mouth is. As a mom, I would appreciate that. Let's move on from somebody that I view as a token of healthy masculinity, whether he's MILF signaling or not, to someone who perhaps is, is less is less so. I mean, as head empty hotties ourselves, we obviously do not spend a lot of time on the men's rights side of TikTok. Like, I mean, I don't know about you, Brittany, but my algorithm doesn't really serve me this kind of stuff. Like, no, yeah, I so, did not know who he was until like last week. So for years, we had lived in blissful ignorance of Andrew Tate, who is currently on a lot of people's For You pages right now. Let me explain who this guy is. Unfortunately, I learned, so you have to. He initially rose to internet cloutdom when he began dating Jordan Peterson's daughter, Michaela Peterson, for a brief period. She is an influencer in her own right. She's known especially for her diet, that she encourages you to eat only salt, steak, and water. Obviously, extremely healthy and smart. Many people have said Tate's rise in followers is unprecedented in its speed. And the acceleration started when he began streaming on Twitch, where he'd have his followers on and he'd degrade them. And then he'd tell them how they could be more like him. I guess by like him, he meant looking like a condom on the floor of a hair salon and also dating a woman who only eats meat. But the real acceleration happened when many popular Twitch streamers like Aiden Ross had them on their shows to make stream bait and videos of streamers like Hassan Piker and Ludwig Argen refuting him also have millions of views. He is a former kickboxer, which... I had only heard about from John Cusack. Did, did you ever say anything? He's like, he's yeah, he's an aspiring kickboxer in that. That was my only frame of reference for kickboxing. With MMA, you can use your arms and your hands, whereas this guy is just using his legs. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not a doctor or anything. Seems to me like it's a little bit more of a wimpier sport than MMA. And that's important because this guy is basically... His whole brand is being like an alpha male, basically. Until fairly recently, he was probably best known for getting kicked off of the franchise Big Brother because he was caught on video beating a woman with a belt. It's possible that that situation is a little bit more complex than it initially seemed. He maintains the encounter was consensual. Someone claiming to be his ex posted a video where she claimed it was consensual and the whole situation was overblown. But he was kicked off regardless. That was his big claim to fame for a while. And then he claimed to be some sort of like 
webcam magnate in Romania and he basically like bragged about how he and his brother got a bunch of women to become cam girls basically and tell some sob stories to men on the internet to get them to pay them but right now he's primarily best known for like going on podcasts and being like a general internet personality who says stuff like this females have no innate responsibility or honor if your boy you give your boy a car right he crashes it Bro, I fucked up. I'm gonna pay this off. I'm gonna get to work. I'll get another job. Man, I'm sorry. Da 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 da. Bitch crashes your car. Well, it wasn't even my fault. That guy came out of nowhere. I didn't even know. Yo, I didn't even know it. So and you right. have loads of money and you have loads of cars. Just buy a new one and I can't afford it. And then, and if you get too tough to her, look, you better fucking pay. She's just gonna block you and fuck some other guy. That's all that's gonna happen. Female. And he says stuff like this. I believe that women are beautiful creatures. I just don't think that they're as emotionally calm as men in stressful situations. I don't think they can fight like a man can. And for the same reason, I would never drop my children in an all-male nursery. His whole thing, basically, it's sort of like, it's a combination between like Joe Rogan and the early men's rights activists of like the 2010s. And the clips I played like, are really the tip of the iceberg in terms of his misogynistic views. Like he said on Twitter, he got he got suspended. But around the time of the Me Too movement, he said women should bear some responsibility for being raped. I can read the context if you think that would like help your understanding of what he said, Brittany. But I don't I mean, it's that's basically the context. And he's also said, much like Leo DiCaprio, that he'd never date a woman over the age of 25. His reasoning is that they've had more sexual partners and are more quote-unquote used up than an 18 or 19 year old which is not great he's got some very interesting views on race and racism and i guess those views could be best summed up by he doesn't believe that it exists he doesn't believe that racism exists they will take a white male character that has been white and male for 60 years and change it into a black female but they will never Never take a character that's been black and change it white. Ever! It's an attack on white people because I think white people suffer from more racism today than any other race. And he is half black, which is something he likes to bring up the second anyone criticizes him for saying anything in this vein. I mean, he really couldn't be worse. And it's hard to sum up his appeal. Have you seen what he looks like? Like vaguely ugly? Yeah. <laughs> That's a perfect way of putting it, actually. <laughs> I didn't even bother to go to his Wikipedia because I was like, not this ugly man saying all these things. But like, I don't know. I thought he was just, just dropped out of thin air as a, like a guest on Joe Rogan episode. I didn't realize he had a whole, he was like on Big Brother and all this other stuff. That's crazy to me that he's been this famous for this long. You know how you just like, there's like a character that just like pops up one day and you're like, I can't stop hearing this name every single day. Like, I was just so confused as to where he came from and why people suddenly were like talking about him so much. And so that entire history is like, blowing my mind right now. Yeah, so the reason why people are talking about him right now, I think there's sort of been a slow burn that's been going on over the past year or so in terms of him building up his following, like sort of without people realizing it, like he's built up this tremendous following. He's got like 4.3 million Instagram followers and he's got a loyal army of minions who are mostly young boys, it seems like, teenage boys or very early 20-somethings who have largely learned about him from his being platformed on big podcasts like Barstool Sports and clips of his interviews going viral on TikTok. And he's also got this self-help company called Hustlers University, where part of the business model is him 
encouraging people to go out and market him and the company by posting his clips, which basically, I mean, if it sounds like an MLM, a lot of people have made that comparison as well. Like it's basically an MLM for incels is kind of what it seems like. (laughs) Yeah. And he's, as you mentioned, he's, he is vaguely ugly. I think that's really important to me when I see him talk He gives off the vibe of like a kid in your history class in high school who has like a speech impediment and he's been on Ritalin like he was the first kid to get on Ritalin and he really likes getting into arguments with the teacher over whether like why is there not a straight pride month and everybody is really uncomfortable and shuns him i just thought that's like the six different kids i went to elementary and high school with who fit that exact description and i'm pretty sure they probably all follow andrew tate didn't realize he had a whole history i thought he was just again like a character created by joe rogan who was born out of like axe body spray and i don't know whatever i don't even know what bros like to be honest i can't even think of enough comparisons for <laughs> what they <laughs> what they like to say that he came out of the air from yeah, what do bros like i think i need to go out and like collect more bro friends all the men who identify as straight in my life are like way too soft to be super bros. I can't imagine a single man whiskey, I know, but I, I'd be sur- whiskey, skiing, cigars, crypto, crypto, uh, Bill Maher. No, <laughs> yeah, chips like the snack. Yeah, Cheez Its. I don't know. I don't know what straight boys Let's like. Let's not attach that to bros. Cheez Its are delicious. What do they like? Volleyball, <laughs> golf. <laughs> Some steak, MMA, yeah, not kickboxing. Who were the cele- I mean, The Rock, salmon pants, salmon colored pants, salmon pants, talking. Yeah, they love to talk. I don't know. <laughs> That's his demographic. Like Android phones. Who- ew, ew. <laughs> oh my god, disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. That's as far as I can get. When you watch his videos, like I actually get the sense that it's less that audience of like chip eating salmon pants wearing android owners who love mma and crypto and more like people who want to be those people do you know what i mean like really disaffected young men who think that if they do all of those things that they can sort of embody this like ideal of masculinity that society is telling them that they do not it seems very much like he's trying to appeal to an audience of societal rejects like essentially which is extremely dangerous and i think that's kind of the main reason why he's going viral right now is because there have been calls to deplatform him because of the influence he's wielding on TikTok and the money he's making off of Hustlers University and the fact that his audience skews so young. And I was curious about this, like whether or not it was like that easy to get red pilled by watching Andrew Tate videos. So I use my dummy account. I have a dummy account on TikTok. I commented on maybe one or two Andrew Tate fan account videos and liked them. I not only was relentlessly served Andrew Tate content almost immediately, but also transphobic content, misogynistic content, fatphobic content, racist content. It was just a fucking deluge, like nothing else I'd ever seen on any other platform. And it was, in, I mean, it was very obvious to me that if I was getting these from, li- I just liked a couple videos, then I couldn't imagine what type of content the average teenage boy was getting served. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it's like all that content obviously is just so prevalent on every social media, no matter where you turn. Like, I mean, there are people like 
drew a follow who like posts so many responses to guys just like being just horribly racist or fatphobic or misogynistic in any form and like these just are like regular unformed thoughts from so many men on every single app so it's like having someone who's kind of like the figurehead behind it is always going to be very appealing for everyone to follow because you don't have to look even for andrew tate to find that i think it's worse than rogan honestly like rogan at least has some veneer of like being intellectual and like being interested in like into engaging in intellectual ideas and like trying to hear out ideas from all kinds. Like he's a thoughtful guy. A curiosity difference. Yeah. Like I feel like Joe Rogan, his takes, I like absolutely do not agree with. And I think there's a lot of obviously very inherent issues with how he views a lot of how the world works, but he at least poses it with the idea of like being curious about it, which like take it or leave it for whatever it is. But there is sort of like this idea of like being sort like wanting to learn more about a subject yeah, exactly. where Andrew Tate is very, very staunch in his beliefs, very much like un I mean, completely unwilling to move any other way with it and just kind of believes very deeply into these things. It's very cult like. Yeah, it is very cult-like. And I should also add that he is currently under investigation by Romanian police for human trafficking. I probably should have said that up top. So much I'm learning about this man. (laughs) So basically, there was this woman who was reported to have been held at the Tate brothers' house against her will. And the Tate brothers, because Andrew's brother, he does this podcast with him and had this business with him. So his brother Tristan basically was like, yeah, there was this girl at a party that we were throwing and she told her boyfriend that she was being held against her will. And the next day we get a call from like the American embassy saying like the police are going to come to your house. So that's his side of the story. Just for what it's worth, the man is under investigation for human trafficking. You'd think that some of his right wing defenders would be would see that as sort of a disqualifier for like listening to him. Apparently not. They probably see it as more of a qualifier. To be honest, he's a dangerous guy. He really does. He strikes me as a dangerous guy. And it's very concerning that I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that people are talking about him right now or that we're talking about him right now. I think in some ways it's a bad thing. I wasn't anticipating learning as much about him as I did today. So thank you. I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, we learned a lot about men. I feel like we learned a lot about men. We got somewhere. We shared our research that we've done about men. I think that was good. It was very collaborative and scientific. I think like maybe two seconds away from like Monty Lopez, like doing some sort of thing with Andrew Tate. Oh, yeah. The answers can be found in the MTV video game. Okay, so let's do Moral Panic, where we discuss the latest thing that people are needlessly freaking out on the internet about. Brittany, are you still in the market for a dog? I don't know. I feel like I need one at some point, but I'm just never home. Okay, my dog names were Barb, if it's a girl, or Fernando, if it's a boy. Oh, right, Fernando. (laughs) I knew it was like an ABBA reference. I mean, I don't want to dissuade you from getting a dog, But I did want to tell you about one disgusting thing that dogs do, which is that they eat their own poop and other dogs poop. Were you aware of this? Yes, I have seen this happen. 
Okay. All right. So you weren't stumbling into it blind. This was something I, context I've, that you were aware of. I've witnessed this in action. It is not good. But you know who wasn't aware of it is this woman named Michelle Tandler. Took this very disgusting but very common dog habit. And she used it to stoke a minor moral panic last week when she tweeted about an epidemic of dogs in San Francisco becoming addicted to meth and other dogs shit. So this woman tweeted, last night at a party, I met a woman who left San Francisco after her dog walker told her the dogs were getting addicted to meth-laced feces. Apparently, they were running around the parks looking for it and then getting high. I have so many questions. First off, how do they know there would be meth in there? Did they test it? No, I think that her reasoning was, oh, the dog was so voraciously eating the other dog's shit that there had to have been something in there. Got it. Got it. So they had no scientific proof that it was fully meth. I did not get the sense that they had hired a toxicologist <laughs> as a contractor, like on a contractual basis to like determine this. I could be wrong. I mean, Michelle, I would love to talk to you. Yeah, this is obviously a lie. Like many tweets are a lie. This is obviously a lie tweet. First, because it's stupid. And amphetamines like methamphetamine are excreted in urine, not poop. And it's also like a pretty it's and people were like yelling at her like this is bullshit. And she was like, well, here's a 10 year old story about dogs in Berlin ODing on like homeless drug addict poop in public parks, like to back my point up. But the story is like not in English and it's an ancient story. It has the hilarious URL. I'm going to practice like my semester of German here. Tierisches Drogenproblem, Junki, Kurt, Macht, Berliner, Hundehai which drug problem junkie makes Berliner dogs high is all I can <laughs> discern from that. So it's hard to verify. It also reminds me of a lot of stories which have since been debunked about cops ODing simply by touching fentanyl, which just turned out to be like also total bullshit and just like another example of copaganda. But the other reason why I think it went viral is because have you been seeing like a lot of content recently about like cities and how cities have become like these crime ridden urban hellscapes? Yes. And I, I know it's especially I have a friend who lives in the Bay Area and the stories around San Francisco and the Bay have been especially sort of like fear mongering in terms of like how it's written and about sort of just like homelessness in the city and just, I mean, completely over-exaggerating sort of what's going on. Does she think that the crime rate has increased in San Francisco? Like, does she perceive this to be an accurate assessment of a real problem? What does she think about it? She lives in Oakland, and I know there's a significant homelessness problem in Oakland that, of course, like, the city is not doing anything to support any unhoused people in any part of the area or any major city in the country. But I mean, it's definitely very clearly coming from like waspy white people who are over exaggerating because they feel uncomfortable with institutional problems with different cities that have obviously gotten worse because we're in a recession and a lot of people have lost jobs or haven't had steady income, especially during the pandemic. And it's not anything like super insane in terms of what's already existed in all these cities. Yeah, I mean, and the statistics bear that out. I did a little bit of research on this. I did some research on crime rates in San Francisco specifically and also crime rates in New York because I have seen a lot of this discourse focused on New York, like on TikTok in particular. I've seen it on Fox News like and, and in right-wing media outlets so that you're constantly reporting like these horror stories. And I'm seeing it on TikTok too, which is very strange to me. Like all of the comments on like, on subway videos on TikTok are like, look how dangerous New York is now. I mean, it was also a lot of that was stoked by the subway shooting that happened earlier this year. I feel like it created like a sort of crime hysteria that obviously it was a very isolated incident, but it's not like New York is more dangerous than it's been before. It was obviously a very horrifying 
experience for a lot of people, but it did not mean that statistics had grown any worse. That's what the numbers say. Like with New York specifically, the homicide rate and the violent crime rate did go up slightly during COVID. And a lot of people have like pegged this to being like a post-pandemic phenomenon. But relative to like the historical crime rate, it's like really low. Like it's about on par with what it was in 2009 during our last recession. And it's five or six times less so than New York City in the 80s and 90s. So like, yes, the crime rate has gone up, but it's all relative. Like it's still much lower than it was at its peak 30 or 40 years ago. And there's been a lot of reporting on this. Like, I'm not pulling this out of my ass. And in San Francisco, in San Francisco, the nonviolent crime rate, the homicide rate has risen incrementally since 2019, but it's still very low, like one of the lowest rates on record, according to an LA Times report. Nonviolent crime rates like burglary and larceny, they have gone up quite a bit. And it's kind of tough to measure because a lot of people don't report being the victims of those crimes. But like, as you said, no one is really talking about how this may be driven by like institutional factors, like enormous socioeconomic inequality in the Bay Area, which is a huge problem. Yeah, I mean, we've seen the real estate market just like completely go apeshit over the last year. Like you can't like people are being completely priced out of everywhere. Every major city has like astronomical rents right now. Families who have lived in their apartment buildings or homes for years, have rented for years, can no longer afford where they live. That's happening across the nation. I mean, the way that we're talking about it, like you just stated the problem in very simple terms, like in very straightforward terms that are easy for anybody to understand, but people don't really want to wrap their minds around that. What they would rather talk about is how their dogs are getting addicted to meth-infused dog shit. Like that's somehow easier to talk. It's somehow easier to approach the problem from that angle than it is to say, well, people are getting priced out of their homes and have nowhere to live. Like, I don't know. So the next time you see someone tweeting or posting TikToks about how the city is like such a pile of garbage, like it's worth considering those factors in one woman's opinion. There's no meth in, in the two dog women's shit. opinion. Two women's opinion. The dog shit remains meth free. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Himbo of the Week, where we celebrate the latest and greatest empty-headed hotties on the internet. Today, I want to celebrate someone I do not think is empty-headed. In fact, they may be the smartest person in the world. The latest video of theirs to go viral is maybe the only good video in the world. It's an iconic read of literally everyone on Earth. It is truly brilliant. So our Himbo (laughs) of the Week is Bella Delgado, who made some of the most valid points I've heard laid out in a TikTok maybe ever. The clip starts out with stitches of two separate but also very common videos that happen on TikTok. It's a woman that says, tells her followers to stop dating ugly men. And then a man then replies, but what if a man said this? Neither of these people are Bella. Bella adds his two cents right after. Just listen here. It is day 7,346, and woefully the men and women on TikTok are still fighting over which demographic insults the other more often. Let me just say, as a person who has been called ugly on many occasions in my lifetime, I've been called ugly by women, men, Teachers, children, dogs, the 2009 staff at the Pacific Science Center. Let's just put this to bed once and for all. You're all mean. You all got nasty spirits out there. And that's why you're all on TikTok calling other people ugly, downing other people's looks, talking about how other people should be living their lives, who other people should be dating. All the while, you're still single. All the while, you're still not that cute. It does not matter how many houses you investigate. 
yours still has roaches in it. Love this video. I think it's so funny. I think it's like one of the most iconic reads of the internet. No one has ever cleared an entire app quite like Bella did with this take. And he's right to say it. Everyone is mean and has nasty spirits. And as he points out, the internet is just a lot of people being pissed that other people look different than what they prefer. There's nothing uglier than a mean ass bitch. So here, here. Points were made. Points were made. Hold on, you've been scrolling for way too long now. Maybe you should get some food, get some water, and then come back later. Thanks so much for listening to Don't Let This Flop. Please share this podcast with someone you love or someone you hate. Either way, we don't care which one. This podcast is brought to you by Rolling Stone and Cumulus Podcast Network. Written and hosted by me, Brittany Spanos, and EJ Dixon. Executive produced by Jason Vine, Bridget Chelsea, and Elizabeth Garber-Paul. And produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian DiMeglio.